This is the FoxSportsFlorida.com Miami Heat Podcast. I'm your host, Siri Fernandez, and joining me once again is Sun Sentinel reporter Ira Winderman. How's it going, Ira? It's going good so far as we get ready for the final month. Oh, man. Are you, re- are you excited for this final month? It'll be intriguing. I mean, if you want every game to matter, it'll be the first time that March slash April has been that way for the Heat now, really in five years. Right, right. Um, so we've got the news that Michael Beasley signed for the, for the remainder of the season. What have you seen from now that we have a larger sample size uh, I, I've seen some uh, more motivation, at least as far as you know, the occasional uh, defensive effort goes. Uh, but do you think overall his game has has improved? I think what has happened is his game and the role have meshed. Michael Beasley has proven since being in the NBA since 2008, on and off, he's an eighth or ninth man. And this really is the first team that has cast him only as that. When he went to Minnesota, possible starter. When he went to Phoenix, possible starter. I think he's now sort of, uh, I guess, water finds his own level, and Michael Beasley's level is an eighth or ninth man at the NBA, where if he's on, he's a bonus, and if he's not on with his game or he's off mentally, it doesn't hold your team back because he's not essential. So I think Michael Beasley going forward now has a very comfortable role the way the Heat are casting him. Speaking of that eighth or ninth man role, do you think that uh, Spolster is going to shorten that rotation as far as heading into the playoffs to something like an eight or nine rotation, or do you see maybe like a James Ennis or Shabazz Napier playing a little bit and then, then go, you know, out of, in and out of the rotation like we saw earlier in the season? No, I think if you look at the box score, it's been pretty consistent the last two weeks. Ennis and Napier are out unless they're injuries. Tyler Johnson against Cleveland didn't play at all. I think you're looking probably as comfortable with a nine-man rotation. Depends whether Walker or Haslam starts a power forward. Sometimes when Walker starts a power forward, Haslam doesn't play at all, depending on the matchup. Otherwise, you have Birdman, you have Mario Chalmers playing very well in that three-guard rotation. And Beasley, so I think really eight or nine, maybe except for the two remaining back-to-backs, to me look like it's the way it's going to go. Um, and, and that was a, a really impressive game by Birdman in, in Whiteside's absence. Um, do you think something like that can be sustained, uh, you know, going into the next season? Because th- this is kind of like a season where, uh, you know, you don't want to see Wade, Wade, Wade one when, when of Wade's best years wasted. But also Birdman, he's getting older too, right? I mean, do you think that is something that, you know, is kind of like the last good well, games from Birdman? I think more than impressive. anything, they need another power player they can rely on. It could be as simple as Josh McRoberts. Right. So if you have a three-man power rotation next season of Bosch coming back, Whiteside and McRoberts, then you can just spot Birdman when the center's injured, when there's a more physical team he can come in, where you really only need him maybe once or twice a week instead of three or four times a week. So I think McRoberts will definitely change the equation. If McRoberts doesn't come back or Chris Bosch doesn't come back as he is, then I think you have to consider another center because there have been too many times, whether it's a suspension for Hassan or his ankle injury, yeah. where, trouble, right? where where they're all of a sudden short, short at center for true centers. And, and Udonis, as erstwhile as he is, really to play against bigger big men still can be an issue for this team. So again, I think McRoberts is a swing player in the power rotation, and that will directly impact Birdman next season. I talked to Shandell, uh, your, your your peer at San Sentinel, and I asked him, uh, I want to ask you your take. Do you think the issues with Whiteside recently were a little bit overblown, or do you think there's legitimate cause for concern, or do you think he's kind of, quote-unquote, learned his lesson? No, I don't think it's a matter of learning a lesson, and I don't think maturity is gained through one incident or one suspension right. or two ejections. I think it's a growing process, and I think Hassan Whiteside has to take stock of each incident, which he apparently has. He was very contrite after the most recent incident. 
and then you hope he moves forward. But you know what? There will be other teaching lessons. There will be other teaching points. And if the Heat do make the playoffs, he will learn what playoff basketball is all about. And that's a whole nother level of teams scouting you for four, five, six, seven games in a row. This is all part of the learning process. I think until the end of the season, you won't be able to really take stock of where Whiteside is because I still think he's very much going through his formative years and formative games in the NBA. Yeah, and I actually wanted to ask you that you brought that up. Um, you know, the playoff experience, it's, it's so important, especially for these young players like, like Ennis and Napier and especially maybe Whiteside. Uh, is that really the, the end game here? That's, that's the goal as far as making the playoffs? Because, um, you know, the, some people want them to kind of lose and then lottery top, pick, top lottery right? pick. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, that seems a little far-fetched, and, and they're not hardwired this way, this team. Uh, is that something that really can be I, I, I banked on? I don't know on? if it's about experience, because I don't think, and like we talked about the rotation, Napier or Ennis are going to play. I think what you want to do is inspire confidence going forward. Remember, Goran Dragic can opt out and become a free agent. Mm. What you want him to say is, hey, I was on a playoff team. This team showed it could take another step. You want to create confidence with the players on this roster now. You want Chris Bosh who's watching on the side, Josh McRoberts who's watching on the side saying, hey, Without us, this team made the playoffs. Think about how much better we'll be when we get in the mix also. I think the only guy who really will be a growing experience, like we mentioned, will be for Hassan Whiteside. But I think you want that good feeling. You want Eric Spolster that he can say every year he's coached in this league, his team has made the playoffs. That, yes, we dropped off considerably without LeBron, but not out of the playoffs. I think it's more of a goodwill thing than anything. And again, when people talk about the lottery pick and getting a pick, my thought has been all along is this. They have their lottery pick. His name is Hassan Whiteside. They have their mid-range first-round pick. His name is Tyler Johnson. They have their young players they can develop. They have Michael Beasley. They have Henry Walker. So if the goal is after the draft to say we've we've come out with two new prospects, the Heat's going to end this season with four more prospects than they ever thought they would have when the season started. Yeah, and that's a good point because, I mean, you see Pat Riley, I think he gave up two first-round picks for for Dragic. It's kind of like... You want first-round picks to have that flexibility, but they, they've made it work with, that, with the affiliation with the and Sky the Force. developmental program, absolutely. Yeah. When you look at players drafted in the second half of the first round last year and you look at what Tyler Johnson gives you, it's a wash. You know, you get one of those guys. Look at the Heat got Napier. Look at who he was traded for with Charlotte, with Hairston. You know, right now, t- Tyler Johnson, Hairston, probably pretty much of a wash there anyway. So as long as they can develop, as long as they have the tentacles to look to Europe and places like that, that's who this team is. This team will develop players on their terms, not because they have pick number X in the draft. But we talked about this in, in a previous podcast. Is the matchup, a, f- a potential first-round matchup with the Cleveland Cavaliers, kind of like the worst-case scenario for the Heat? I mean, they played them pretty well in these two games here at the arena. Yeah, and LeBron takes stock of that, <laughs> and they'll learn on that. Right. When I look at playoff matchups, to me, there's one that stands out. If Chicago, and it's going to be a stretch, can get to number two when mm-hmm. Rose comes back and Gibson comes back and Butler comes back, I think that's a series that he can win. You know, it'll be a low-scoring series. The Heat right. played very well when they were in Chicago last time. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the best of all worlds for the Heat. Honestly, is this team good enough to win a playoff series? Hey, this team has not strung together consecutive quality victories for so long that when you look back at it, you know, except for the game against Cleveland, you have to go back to late January to look at Chicago as the last time they beat a team in the top half of the playoff race. So you can't go ahead and say, well, they're going to win four in the playoffs. Right. But you know what? 
there's enough time left and there's enough quality opponents left, whether it's the Thunder, whether it's going into Milwaukee or into Atlanta, they still have time to build that confidence. And they, and they have a tough schedule, but at the same time, they're facing a lot of teams that are kind of around them in the standings. And they have a lot of elite teams still left, and they have another rematch with, with the Cavs. You think that's going to really kind of prepare them for the playoffs? Well, I think the one good thing we've seen turning is is that when you look at their schedule and going into the Trailblazers game, they've won six of eight at home. Finally, uh-huh. coming to American Airlines Arena means a better than 50-50 or at least 50-50 chance for the Heat. It took so long for this team to establish any kind of home court run. But that's the thing. If they can take care of home court the rest of the year, even when they have tough games like Chicago coming in and San Antonio coming in, For the first time, when they come in this building, I think they feel it's a sanctuary, and it did not feel that way in November, December, January, and February. Right, and I think think a lot of it has to do maybe with the consistency that Dwayne Wade has been showing as of late, because he was kind of struggling. He he didn't shoot very well when he came back from that uh, absence after the All-Star Seven games with a hamstring, 23 days off. It takes time. It'll be interesting now. They have two very big back-to-backs coming up, only two left this season. Then Milwaukee, then into Boston, a game that counts for twice. Then they go to Detroit, then into Indy, a game that counts for twice. I'm really curious. Dwayne Wade, as well as he played, how is he going to manage those back-to-backs? How are the Heat going to manage the back-to-backs? Because the second night of both of those back-to-backs at Boston and Indy are far more important than at Milwaukee and at Detroit. I think that'll be really interesting. How far back is Dwayne Wade? If he can be productive on the second night of back-to-backs, then he's all the way back. You feel he can maybe sustain this kind of level of play? Because it's really uh, all on him, along with Dragic, We've never seen Dwayne at 33. It's all new. It's like Kobe. We've never (laughs) seen... Players reach this age, hey, Dragic is what he is. He's in the absolute prime of his career. We haven't seen 33-year-old Dwayne Wade. Every time Dwayne goes out there and he puts together another 25-point performance, you say, wow, maybe it is good at 33, and maybe that does bode well for 34 and 35. Um, yeah, because he's, he's been working on that mid-range game, uh, it's been, and, and he's been pretty explosive going towards the rim, uh, but, and I've seen Dragic do such a good job penetrating, doesn't that just open up so much? Well, that's the, the thing, the they're both getting to the rim, it, right. it allows the kickouts. The most important stat to me for Dwayne not, is not the points as much, or the mid-range shots, he's getting to the foul line. I mean, mm. it's a bonus he's making them, but that shows me that Dwayne is back in attack mode. There were long stretches where he would have two, maybe four free throws a game. He reached a stretch there where he was getting nothing but eight free throws a game in attack mode. That's who Dwayne is. That's who he has to be. And we're seeing a, a little more consistency. They seem to be you know, pretty healthy now entering this stretch. Uh, what, what do you see that's still missing from this Heat team to, to be able to get a stretch of good games going? Quality NBA-level depth. God bless Henry Walker and Michael Beasley and Tyler Johnson. But these are all players who came off 10-day contracts. Mm-hmm. And when you look at most heat matchups lately, especially against quality teams, right. that's where there's the deficit. This Heat team doesn't have the depth like they've had in previous years, whether it's James Jones or Mike Miller or Shane Battier or Ray Allen. Birdman, yes. Mario Chalmers playing a little better. But when you have to go to 7-8 and eight or 9-10, and 10, mm-hmm. that's the difference right now. The reason for that is... Chris Bosh is out. Josh McRoberts is out. So two guys who are going to be in the top eight and really maybe the top five of your rotation are out. I think depth will be the issue. Um, as far as just the East overall, 
Uh, we were at the Reporters' Roundtable at the pregame show last week. Uh, you didn't seem very convinced that Atlanta was going to win the East. What's your pick for the I East? I just think when you get into a playoff series, and it's a two-point game at the end, unless Atlanta can win a blowout like they've been doing, who gets the ball, who's the guy? So I look at LeBron, I'm saying he can be the guy. Right. I look at Kyle Lowry, he can be the guy. I look at John Wall. I look maybe at Derrick Rose or at least Jimmy Butler. So I still think LeBron, the East is so bad. Keep this in mind. After they lost to the Heat, they had 26 losses. 26 losses would have put them in eighth place in the Western Conference. The Eastern Conference is the JV. So, yes, Cleveland is good enough to win the JV Conference right now. But consider the competition Atlanta's playing on a regular basis. They're going against lesser competition because they're playing in the East. So you would you would pick the Cavs over, I would over pick that. the Cavs because I would pick the Cavs probably over the Hawks because LeBron's been to the NBA Finals the last four years. I don't see a reason why anyone has stepped up to take that away from him. All right. Well, once again, thank you very much for for your knowledge, and uh, hopefully we'll do it again in a couple of weeks. And now we start counting down the season by days instead of weeks. So looking oh, forward I, to it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Thank you. Thank you.